0: What has been the general attitude of people in your, in your um, experience since the flood? Regarding the flood? Yeah, I mean, is everybody downcast or what?
1: You know, not, not as much as you might think. You know. uh, everybody's shocked. Everybody's not happy. Uh, a lot of people have had a lot of bad luck. No place to live and everything, but they still seem to be okay. You know. Everybody's more or less, that I've t- spoken to, more or less, it happens, it happens. You know, you got to do what you got to do. You dig yourself out.
0: Hello again, and welcome to Maxi's Taxi, interviews and stories of people you've probably never heard of. Today's episode marks the 10th anniversary of the worst weather-related episode in the history of our little town of Highlands, New Jersey. It was like a hurricane and a moontide in a nor'easter all rolled into a single calamitous event. In fact, they called it, quote, Superstorm. Superstorm Sandy, which gave us early Halloween horror on October 29th, 2012. The following stories were recorded 10 years ago, right after the storm. They include accounts from my dad, who was 72 at the time, his neighbor Herb, the canary man about the fate of his birds, and Anna, an artist who lost years and years of artwork to the
1: salt water that blew into our homes that night. Richard Maxson, 72. Marine Carpenter, retired. Now you want to talk about the storm. Uh, The recent storm, the storm of Sandy, 2012, October 29th, I think, 2012, is the first time there's ever been water in this house. And uh, when they get up Sunday morning, everything looked normal, and the water started coming in. This is, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours before the storm hit town started flooding so i thought well you know you know going to get a little high tide because we knew we had the moon tides and the water came up pretty high and uh, i was watching it and then it stopped coming up but um i got real tired because I didn't get much sleep the last couple nights because of all of this getting ready getting up extra early and stuff so I thought well, I got to take a nap, but there's no problem because the storm ain't gonna hit until I don't know ten o'clock tonight or something, or two in the morning or something, two in the morning. Even. And uh, well, I didn't wake up till four because they turned the electricity off. It wasn't the storm; the electric company turned the electricity off. So I woke up and it was four o'clock. So I thought, well, I'm better get moving. Still thinking I had plenty of time. Looked out the window and I realized that the water was starting to come up again. So I'm thinking it's coming up. It's coming up, you know. And, and, how could it be? It's not high tide for like four hours or six hours or something. I think it's coming up fast. So I decided to leave, and I threw some clothes in a bag, two clothes in two bags, pretty quick, and uh, dry clothes. I headed up to the school, but I was going across Bay Avenue, and the water was coming in pretty pretty strong. I was getting a little scared because the water was this high. You know, okay. And I'm thinking, should I drop the bags you know, to balance myself better? And I'm thinking, well, a couple more steps will be to the sidewalk, then I can pull myself along the fence. And that's pretty much what I did. Uh, all I had to do was get across the street, get a few doors down to Cedar Street. And then I knew it would be all right because then it gets higher as you walk along Cedar Street and get to my van. And that's what I did. So that's how I got out of, out of downtown Highlands.
0: Well, how high was the water that, that it made you nervous?
1: Oh, uh, about waist high, I guess. Something like that. Which was uh, already as high as it had been, maybe in 92. Uh, yeah. know. You know, at that point, I stopped worrying too much about it. And I'm thinking, well, I'm almost definitely going to get water in the house this time. But I never thought I was going to get that much water in the house, where things would, my couch would be floating around, you know. And laying on a cot all night, wondering what was going on. You know, you get no news first thing the next day when I come home. First thing I had to do was get David to help me push the door open because the couch had floated over and block, was blocking the door. And uh, I had a, about two and a half feet of water downstairs, uh, which means I lost just about everything I had downstairs, but all my furniture, appliances, washer, dryer, refrigerator, stove, and, uh, desks, cabinets, dressers. Uh, a couple of dressers I had since 1969, good quality. Uh, electron- I had a lot, lost a lot of electronics in the house and in my garage, karaoke machines, uh, tape recorders, and stuff.
0: So basically, everything you lost in your downstairs is probably uh,
1: uh, analogous to what everybody lost. Oh, yeah. But a lot of people lost a lot more than me. People had to lived in trailers, had their trailers washed away. You know, I mean, if, if my house was wiped away, how would that be? Everything would be gone. Speaking about pictures and personal articles and everything. You read in the paper, some of the people, the houses are wiped out completely. One poor guy in today's paper, is I don't know, he left and came back, and his house was demolished by the town or by somebody, and he didn't even know they were going to do that. And, and it had been knocked off its foundation. And uh, so that's just one, one story. Of course, there are a thousand stories about what happened with the flood. But a lot of people a lot worse off than me, that's for sure.
0: My dad was correct. Everybody did have a story. When I met Jay and Barbara, it was in line at the post office in the neighboring town of Rumsen. Rumson's post office hadn't been washed out like ours had, and it's where us Highlanders had to go and get our mail. In order to get to Rumson, we had to cross the Oceanic Bridge, which crosses the Navasink River, which is basically the same water that had been in everybody's living rooms. Jane Barbara's story stretched back 14 months, back to Hurricane Irene, in fact, which had struck the East Coast just over a year before Sandy.
2: Of oh, the 14 months? <laughs> well, we uh, Irene came through, took everything we owned. We had to leave our house, stay somewhere else. And then we finally got back uh, right before Thanksgiving last year. And then in August, we had a truck come through our house, the back end of our house. And then we started fixing up that. And then uh, Sandy came. And Sandy just took us totally out, totally all over again, and everything is gone. We don't even have pots and paints.
0: To repeat what you just heard, Jay and Barbara's house had been wrecked recently not only by Hurricane Irene and then by Hurricane Sandy, but by an old man crashing his pickup truck into their house in between the two storms. Here is Jay elaborating a bit. His speech is a bit slurred because he has multiple sclerosis.
3: A 77-year-old man should have been driving... He went uh, to pull a K-turn in the driveway. He he lost uh, footing or something and smashed through my my house. Well, came straight through the back of the house. I don't know how he did it. $20,000
0: damage. And did he get hurt at all? No, he was was right. Did he have anything? Did you actually speak with the man?
3: Yeah, I asked him, what did you do? I was sleeping at the time at 8 o'clock in the morning. I asked him, what did you do? What did he say? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, his daughters took his license away from him, and he's like, not driving no more. Like, like maybe a day too late? Yeah. master disaster. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious.
0: Okay, so tell me uh, how much water was actually in the house with Sandy. Four feet, seven inches. FEMA came in and... Don't uh,
3: measure they measured it. with flood lines.
2: Everything is gone. Everything is gone, yeah.
3: i got nothing left. All I got was the two pairs of clothes I wore in that with.
0: Other than those with newer houses built 12 feet off of the ground, just about everybody now had ruined appliances, furniture, walls, and floors. Here's my brother's girlfriend, Anna, who owns a house in Leonardo, just a couple of miles up the coast from Highlands. Her house was untouched by the flood waters.
4: So, um, so the house, I, I bought it five years ago, and I was living in Highlands at the time, so I went around with a realtor looking at houses, and a lot of the houses there had significant flood dam- foundation damage, foundation damage from the flood of 92. And my father, being an engineer also, That was a real, it was an issue, it was an awareness in my mind, the flood issue. And I thought, I don't want to deal with that. So um, when I saw this house in Leonardo, um, which was priced at my price level, I was really happy um, because it was up, I could tell that it was like up high enough and it never had a claim for flood. In its history, 130 years. So the neighbors and so forth told me. So I purchased the you know I purchased the house, being aware of that.
0: Anna is a painter, a visual artist, and she's been creating art for over 30 years.
4: And then I was tired of paying year after year after year like I paid on that storage shed. So I decided now I have the house. I went to this place and I bought. A really nice little prefabricated, like a little house. This cute shed. It was eight, It's eight by ten, and um, I I picked purple just because you know, it was just something fun. Rather every you know everything so traditional houses are yellow, and you know. So I picked something that sort of disturbed one of the neighbors. Well, that's a gaudy color, isn't it? <laughs> but then I moved everything, and I put all my work, everything I'd ever done including my work from New York, all the work that I'd done in school, my first paintings, um, all the works that I was exhibiting and selling in California. I was so happy because I had this house. I said, now I have everything in one place. So when the hurricane hit, you know, I, I, it didn't even cross my mind. I thought, well, the house has never had a claim. I don't have anything to worry about. I didn't even think about the shed or the yard. That it's about a, a difference of about five feet. From the lower end of the property where the sheds are to the where the house is at eleven feet. The bottom of the property sits at about six feet. So that 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 difference, all the difference in the world.
0: So I mean, can you? You know, I hate to ask you to do this, but can you relive like what the thought process was when you realized that the stuff got wet?
4: Um I just I just I guess I just, you know, was like, um uh, I don't know. It was it was like shock, but it was like so much work to bring all that stuff up here and it was all waterlogged and you know. The biggest, heaviest paintings were on the ground and they're rolled up. They're probably like I just didn't have the heart. So look at them, I, I don't know what's I don't even know what they are, how weird they are. Some of them I know are really weird, <laughs> and probably aren't worth saving. And there might be something really good in there that unfortunately they're gonna be ruined. But I I don't know. I just it was just so overwhelming and depressing, and then it was getting really cold. And the kids were you know like I was trying to get things done, and they're like you know. Wanting attention and bored, and I couldn't. I just thought I'm gonna lose it. After, when we saw the shed was wet, I said, "Well, deal with it. Let's go take a bike ride. Let's go see what what happened. Let's go check it out." So we drove down. We rode down by the marina. We saw. You know, I saw like a somebody's baby baptism record laying there, teddy bears, and just, you know, sad, like somebody's whole life. So, but you know what? In a way, all this is like that for me, you know? It's my baptism records and my teddy bears and all of that, you know? Every piece of work that I did on paper, all the works on paper, the preliminary stuff, everything, I mean, about probably 2,000 drawings got wet. You know, I know that it's just pieces of paper, but it's it's like, you know what those pieces of paper were? Those were like, people take photographs or keep diaries. That was my life. That was my life. And that's like irreplaceable. Those things you can't buy. You can buy a new refrigerator or another couch. I'm sorry, but those were like every memory. I didn't do photographs that much or writing journals because all my expression and all my, especially those early years were in those works. I mean, I had to go through everything. And then it was like, you know what, if you go through an old yearbook or old photographs, it brings up things that you had forgotten. Some of the early works brought up like incidents, things that I was like mentally, psychologically, emotionally working out that were really traumatic, and, and those things I've, you know, like long since healed, but there it was, fresh again, you
0: know. But just the idea of 30 years' worth of, basically, your diary.
4: Right, right. right.
0: Do you think the average person has a, has a concept of what that's like to lose artwork?
4: I don't know, really. I don't know. know <laughs> Art, here's the thing. Art is not an essential thing. Art is a luxury So when people's basic necessities are taken and destroyed, that's more weighty, you know. I mean, it's more immediate. I I can't, you know, but then on the other hand, look at it this way. Like if it were a a baby versus like Woody Allen put it in some some silly movie. (laughs) Um, you know, would you save the last um, volume of the last volume of Shakespeare or this baby? You know, so people would always say, "Of course, the human life, the baby, right?" But in actuality, he put a good question there because you know the last volume of Shakespeare is immortal; it goes through time. You know, the person decays and dies, and we pass on. But you know, so. I mean, I have that ambition with these works to make them more than myself, but how to explain it and how to justify it, because it's, it's a, like a luxury, you know, like my father was an engineer, so if you couldn't use it, sit on it, it wasn't functional, he didn't get it, you know, he just didn't, it just didn't, you know, make sense.
0: Are there any silver linings, Pop, that you can think of in terms
1: of the flood? Silver linings? No. <laughs> uh. Uh. Not really. I mean, my sons helped me a lot. It's nice to know that they're there. Uh, other friends helped me a lot. Uh, my friend Ida came down three or four times. Uh.
0: I couldn't leave my dad hanging any longer, so I asked him about some of the volunteers who had been swarming over my hometown, and he responded by talking about one group in particular.
1: There was a lot of there must have been uh, a, dozen, a dozen men, maybe as many women, and they're in two or three bands, and they're all from Virginia, and they're all members of the Calvary Church, of which we have a branch of Highlands. So I got talking to one woman, and she said, "Well, can we do anything for you?" She said, We don't care if you ask us to sweep the floor or if you ask us to uh, paint your garage. He says, anything you need today, we'll do for you. So I said, well, and I still couldn't really think anything. So I was showing him some of the damage in my garage. And I pointed to my records and I pointed to my DVDs and I said, there's, I said, that's where a lot of my time is going to be spent, saving stuff like that. And I pointed to my tools, different things. And they kept insisting that I think of something for them to do. I said, well, I said, uh, I don't I don't remember if it was my idea or the woman, the one older woman who seemed to be the spokesman but when I mentioned, the DVDs. She said, well, why don't we clean the DVDs for you? So I said, well, if you really want to. I said, you know, it's not that important. She said, well, unless you can think of something more important, that's what I'll do. I said, well, that would help me if you clean the DVDs. So I helped them with the, I set up the wash water for them, like, you know, talked about how to do it and so forth. I told her that I would like to keep DeAndy Griffith with DeAndy Griffith and so forth. She said, fine. So they sat there for the next few hours and that's what they did. And so that was one big uh, headache they took away that they solved for me. I mean, how better to watch DVDs than with an assembly line, three or four people. You know, you don't sit there by yourself, you go nuts. And it was I was very thankful.
0: And, and you seemed to get along pretty good with the ladies by the end of the day.
1: Oh, yeah, well, they were so nice, you couldn't help but like them, you know. And they were, you know, friendly, nice, well, down to earth people. So we took pictures and everything. How did that make you feel when the. Uh... It made me feel good. Uh, you know, I always talk about good people and a lot of good people in the world, a lot of bad people, well but it made you feel good that there are a lot of good people and uh, that did come up from Maine, uh, Louisiana, Virginia, North Carolina, from all over basically to uh, help out. Strictly volunteers, many organizations, most of them were church people but not all of them. You had the Red Cross, you had the Salvation Army, you had uh, Habitat for Humanity, you know, Uh, I just had plain ordinary people coming around, I guess, and helping, you know, in addition to your own neighbors and your own townspeople. But uh, as I say, they were very religious, very nice. And of course, they give you a little bit of talk about God. I told them that I am am a God-fearing person. I tried to convince them of that. I gave them a little bit of my opinion as to the state of affairs. But uh, I can use that to bolster my argument that... Church people are your best people, regardless of what, you know, the politics are. Because they, they have faith. People who have a faith, whatever that faith is, are your best people. They, they're the people that will never stab you in the back. They're the people that will, that will help you. I, I think this is proof of that.
0: What about neighbors helping each other? Have you um gotten to know your neighbors? Yeah, like?
1: I've gotten more friendly with some of my neighbors. I mean, I was already friendly with them. But one neighbor helped me out. He happens to be a heating and plumbing guy, and he'd come over and as a favor, uh, fix my fix my stove. Another neighbor gave me his dehumidifier. Uh, another neighbor uh, let me a couple of them let me use his cell phones before I had any phone service. Make important phone calls and and received phone calls for me. All my neighbors have you know been nice. Uh, oh, oh, we have a new neighbor. He's only been there a couple of years. He's about two doors away from me. Very nice man, retired firefighter. Very nice wife.
5: Oh, uh, we we would come down here for years with, with the family and stuff. I mean, with our kids and stuff, we'd go down to Sandy Hook. And one day it was like kind of a cloudy day, so me and my wife decided we were going to take a walk through uh, Highlands. And we're just walking through, and like you know, we we just seen this house here, and we've owned the house for four years, and we are down here permanently for a year. So basically, the ocean and the river and, yeah. and all the natural is, is was part of the reason why you moved Big here. Big part of it, yeah. And then ironically. Ironically, it got us. We've been down here for for uh, a a little more than a year full time, and we had two major storms that storms of the century that never happened, you know, in years. So,
0: Herbert's a retired firefighter from Bloomfield, New Jersey. His greatest passion outside of his family are his canaries.
5: When I was younger, my uh, uncle used to breed pigeons, and and I lived like kind of with my grandfather upstairs in a two-family house in Newark. This is when they allowed pigeons. And he always had pigeons, so one day, I, you know, that was something that I always wanted. But uh, when we got married, we lived in an apartment, we wanted to get a pet, so we decided on a canary. Because I just loved it, I just love being around canaries. You know, the way they jump around, like, and stuff. It's just the color of them, and, and, and their song, you know. Like that, when we bought them home, we used have to keep it in the closet in the morning, because it would be singing so loud in the morning, it would wake us up. We bred our first pair in an apartment. I went to a regular pet shop and just plain canaries and, and we bred our first ones. We used to have like two or three cages around, and we used to, you know, let them fly around, and they'd all go back to their same cage and stuff and all that. So then, within a short period, we, I moved up to Bloomfield, and uh, you know, first I had I you know, started my collection. I had them upstairs in a house, and then when we had kids, I moved them to the basement, and then when the kids moved down to the basement, I moved them out to the shed. <laughs> And that's where I bred them for like, you know, about 20 years. Okay, so you're in Bloomfield and then all of a sudden you moved to Highlands and what's that like with the birds? Oh, I thought it was great. You know, uh, I had a small shed there and so I didn't, you know, I I, and it it was narrow so I couldn't actually stand back and look at them. So like that bugged me so I would only go around and stuff. But once here... I had the space, you know. I, ha- I have uh, like uh, cages on all the walls. Uh, I guess it's like ten feet wide, so I could stand in the middle and I could see all of them, you know, just like scanning around, looking around. It just seems, and I have like the, the you know the window and the door and the natural light. No matter how bad you feel or how bad the day out, you just walk into the room. It's like walking into a sunlit, you know, beautiful day. That's how I look at
6: it. Always I used to work two
5: jobs too. I always worked two jobs. I, I would oh, okay. it, I I would work firehouse, go, I would do irrigation systems, go leave from there go right to irrigation come home you know with only maybe a half hour to take care of the birds and then go back to work and i did that for years years so finally i said now i have the time like Mm. to actually do it and boom gone it was very bad (laughs) but uh but i was here for the first tide to come in and uh, you know we handled it pretty well so i decided to leave the house and as I was riding up on a parkway and I seen there's, right past 120, there's wetlands on both sides of the parkway, and I could see the water was starting to just ease on the parkway. I knew I was in trouble right then, but it was too late to go back. So, and then, you know. Well, I mean, how high had you actually raised the birds? They were like a good good six feet off the ground, the majority of them. And, uh... Only the ones in the very top, near the ceiling, made it. So.
0: Up until this point, I had put off asking her what it felt like when he first returned home. Uh, it
5: was—it it was, you know, we. Were, like, really broke my heart, kind of like, because I knew, like, you know, the minute I opened the garage door the full way, like, I had it open a little because I knew they were gone. That's so, you know. Everything was all over the place. The mud was everywhere, you know, and, and it, 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 there was only tweeting it of birds that survived what really drew me back there in the end, you know, so. He didn't go
6: back no. to the set. I went up. Yeah, Yeah, I'm sorry. You know why? Because I know because I know how he was. The first day we just opened after he opened we opened up the garage. He didn't go into the back at all. So and I didn't either, because I am one seed birds, you know, like that. So I just did what I could do outside the bird room. And then the second day uh, when we came back down again, I, I did, I went in the back and I even tried not to look because I I just didn't want to see the poor birds like that. So I just started stacking them up and then maybe by the third trip down, he actually uh, went back there and gathered them up. Then, uh, when it came time for him to go back there and collect them, I, you know, usually whenever we had a bird in the house or a dog, that we always buried them. A fish, we would even bury in in the yard. So I was kind of surprised that um, he just collected them and put them in a garbage bag and brought them out. Because I would have had a mass burial myself, but um, I knew that uh, you know sometimes you just know just to let him do what he's got to do, and that's what I did. So
5: uh, yeah, I didn't even think about it. You know, yeah, was,
6: it was it was very uh, yeah. What's that word? You know, I don't know what the word is that you just do it. You know, you you know mechanical okay, whatever. Yeah, that. right, right.
5: I still I. It's still, it's still, I can't believe it. can't believe that it
6: happened.
5: Yeah. I lost 40 birds. I can remember each one. I could draw a picture of each one. Each individual. I can recall each bird. You know. Hmm. So, when you look at the canaries at this point. Yeah, it's still, you know. So, is it harder to look at the ones that have survived? or? Uh, no, I feel good for- good about him. So I just want to hang on to all the survivors. You know, I I already lent a mail to a friend. You know, he needed it for a match for one of his his hens. So that I I really didn't want to go because I want to keep all the survivors like forever, you know. But I just hope like, you know, the town comes back. I just hope it doesn't take so long. (laughs) That's all. Meaning... You know, time-wise, in years, I hope, I, 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 you know, I hope, like, that people uh, come back, you know, come back to the town. I hope the businesses come back and, you know, because so I'll come back. I know that. And I'm sure, you know, I'll have luck again.
0: So here we are 10 years following those mountains of debris on the sidewalks from scooped-out houses and the boats sitting on our streets. The boat slips have been rebuilt. Many houses have been renovated and raised high into the air. Property values have skyrocketed, and houses are now very, very expensive. And really, our town is changing dramatically before our eyes as a result of Superstorm Sandy. But in some indefinable way, really in a thousand little ways, Highlands will always be our town, our town that we love with all of our hearts. Thank you once again for listening to Maxi's Taxi, interviews of people you've probably never heard of. And as I say every episode, thank you to my greatest influences, Mrs. Maureen Keeler from Henry Hudson Regional, Dr. Bob Cole from Trenton State, and Dr. Gerald Flannery from University of Louisiana Southeast. For this particular episode, thank you to my dad, who continues his home improvement projects at 222 Bay Avenue, to Herb the Canary Man, who continues to raise canaries two doors down, to Anna the artist, who continues to create art in Leonardo, and to Jay and Barbara, whom I hope have had 10 years free of floods and cars crashing into their home. And thank you especially to all of those who came to my town from all over the country in the wake of the devastation and just helped us in so many ways. This story really is dedicated to you all.
2: I love it down here, you know. Yeah, yeah and it's nice down
3: here. I love it down here, but, well, I gotta get word, but every time a storm comes in, this shit happens, and I don't
0: know, you know, No say shit. So when you say, I love it down here, tell me where you came from and what the difference is.
2: Over uh, from Union County. I'm from Elizabeth. New Jersey, thats it's crime riddled, it's horrible. A lot of guns, violence, i I, I, I
3: carried a gun everywhere one wanted out of the house. It's not bad. So I came down here to live a normal life. I got MS, I, I can
2: relax more.
0: So, so no, it's, the whole lifestyle is different here in Highlands.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's it's more quieter. Everybody knows you. you. You know, the people, our neighbors are very good. We, ha- we have the best neighbors. On our street. We love them. I love them. I do like it. It's just, you know, three strikes, you're out. It's time to go. Higher ground.
3: I can't go through this again. I
2: don't know. But yeah, at the same time, we're going to fix it instead. Bye right, baby? All right, Jay, good luck to you, man. I hope I works
0: more time for you guys.